Good morning, everybody on Anchor. At least it's morning when I'm recording this right now. Looks like kind of foggy out. Don't know if weather details are important for this podcast, but that's how we started this one off. In this episode, I wanted to talk about, uh, well, first of all, we're going to take a call in, and that kind of sparked uh, some thoughts that were based on yesterday's conversation about the future of cinematography, and today we're going to speak specifically about content and sort of the race to the bottom that's been happening with budgets, um, and that's what we're going to kind of focus on. I don't have like a super clear outline for this, but I do have a couple things I wanted to talk about, and of course, would love to hear your guys' call-ins and feedback based on that. So let's listen to our first call-in. Hey, Matt, it's Carlos Quintero, and I am really glad that you're on this platform. It's really awesome. Um, I'm really enjoying this content. And I wanted to say that I completely agree with you. It feels like everything that we've been shooting here for the past maybe seven, eight, even nine years has gradually turned into content. And while that's not completely bad, it's actually interesting to see how content has evolved to where even though the budgets are much smaller, the clients still expect like the complete full production, even in smaller markets like Fargo, North Dakota, which is where I'm located. So just wanted to say, you know, chime in and say, yes, this is the way that it works here, even in Fargo, North Dakota. And thank you very much for uh, contributing so much to this community. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey, Carlos, thanks so much for the call in. Really appreciate it. So I am not an ex- a studio executive or an executive producer. I'm just a DP. I, I was or I was a DP on the front line shooting the content and the real economics behind the advertising dollars and all of that stuff and why it's actually changing and the budgets are trending lower. I don't really know the answer, but I have some thoughts about it. So I, I think what's happened is we have a, a very we have a more diversified. Uh, range of places that content is being viewed and we have a much more diverse range of lengths of content and we have a diverse a more diverse segmentation of the population so before we used to have a save it like for a commercial which is now honestly just content now actual commercials are almost worthless in my opinion we used to say oh so we want to sell pepsi or pepsi's kind of a big brand but uh, we'll just stick with Pepsi. We want to make a Pepsi commercial to let them know that we have this new type of Pepsi or new Taco Bell burrito. You know, these are always the examples I go to. And so what you're going to do is you're basically going to make one series of 30-second commercials that are guaranteed to play on television on 4x3 safe and 16x9. And we're going to buy advertising slots for those over, you know, over programming that we believe that our demographic is watching. Now those are very wide demographics, so you're probably gonna do okay with an ad buy like that now. But if you come to anything smaller than a Pepsi or Taco Bell in a more specific market, very likely, and this is just my opinion on it, very likely you're not you're gonna be wasting so much money. There's gonna be so much airtime where people aren't watching it, you're hitting the wrong demographic, and you don't really have the feedback you want about that and I know this as a very 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 small brand who has to do my own advertising for my own products that something like that would make absolutely no sense and so what we have now is social media YouTube influencers smaller brands and smaller demographics and if you want to actually get your product or your service in front of those people you need to take different tactics and those different tactics are content 
and content unless unless you do like an amazing job like a like an old spice commercial or the poopery commercial that was on Facebook unless you have one of those like uber viral like breakout you know category breaking type of content that's just so funny that everyone shares it or it's so sad you're gonna have to do content frequently and at this point it's pretty much daily like if you watch the kind of content I'm trying to put out from just me I'm just one person with one or two products I put out content daily because that's just how it works that's how you get people's attention that's how people get to see things and because of this frequency of content and the smaller demographics the budgets for those new pieces of content given the same marketing budget just can't be the same um, the same budget per project you couldn't have with a marketing spend for the year of a million dollars if that only you know calculated or if that's only turned into um, 10 commercials before but now you have to make 365 commercials the budgets just have to be smaller so I think that that's a huge piece of what's happening so it's great for certain people I think if you're getting into the industry shooting content is great because there's so many opportunities the budgets are smaller there are brands that are willing to um, that are legit that are legitimate and you're going to be able to work with them for a much lower rate so you might be able to get them early in your career but I think part of the question is long term how do you make a living shooting content when the budgets are much much lower than the TV promos and commercials that were existing back in the day so with the budgets dropping per pro per project, I mean marketing budgets aren't smaller. You still have to market any product or service. So the the budgets overall for the year are not smaller. It's just per project, they are smaller. So what does that what does that mean is happening to the market? So one thing I kind of touched it on this last time is that we're seeing more staff positions for predators or director, producer, editors, and shooters. So there's less diversification of roles, and I think that's okay given the way that technology is moving and it's there there are more facets of cinematography that are becoming automated with autofocus auto exposure um, auto everything and and the um, I also think that the move towards just not editing and being live or doing very very basic editing is also going to become very real uh, because of the frequency that you have to put out the content so this is something that's happening so people are working staff people are combining roles which isn't what you know it isn't the image of the cinematographer that I think a lot of people uh, aspire to right so everyone looks at Roger Deakins and like I want that to be my life well uh, you know for the people shooting content that is not your life maybe at the very very high end but even then it's going to be some more modern hybrid of it so there's staff people people are combining roles and those are two things that I've definitely been seeing more and more of. And I'm going to cut that part. I'm going to end this section right there while I think of what to say next. So those are just some observations and, you know, theorizing of why budgets are the way they are now. So what do, what do the filmmakers do who are operating in this space? And I'll say that I've been learning this. I learned this the hard way when I was working for Viacom and we had just begun doing content. Branded content was so new that you still call it branded content, now it's just content. Um, is that you have to learn how to move very quickly and efficiently and economically. You don't want to be spending money, you don't want a lot of buffer and equipment and time. Everything needs to be very efficient and you want to pick the right tools for the job and you want to have the right um, 
strategy moving into the type of content you're going to be gathering. So everything has become a little bit more of a high-end documentary look, I would say, as opposed to high-end studio or high-end narrative style shooting. Things are a little bit looser. You have to move a little bit quicker. There's multiple cameras. You have multiple formats. You might have a go. You might have your GoPro. You might have someone shooting with a phone. Someone's on a drone. Someone's on an A7S with a gimbal. And then yeah, maybe the main cameras like a Red or an Alexa. But there's more formats. You have to be more flexible in how you capture media. And that is definitely something that took me a long time to get used to. So I, I think in the content place, you know, the content world, it's about um, coming up with your strategy per project, but really coming up with your kit that works for you, and that's going to allow you to let the equipment get out of the way, so you can just shoot really quickly. You know, working with natural light is a lot more possible now with A7S and most of the cameras having pretty decent low light, and a lot of it comes down to, and it always has, comes down to taste and locations. And using what you have to make the best image possible, versus spending a whole day lighting—that's something that's just g- plain gone away. Um, only on my studio jobs or big celebrity, you know, one-off content interviews, do I get to spend six to twelve hours lighting before we shoot something. That's something that I saw disappear. I was pretty sad about it, but was part of the reason I had to get back, or not, not get back into it. But it's one of the reasons that previs became so important to me is because. There was no scout, um, not a very good one, not a very thorough one like the old school scout days, and we weren't getting pre-lights, so I had to come up with this plan and communicate it and execute it the same day as the shoot really quickly in multiple locations sometimes. The best way for me to explain that to people was in 3D the night before, the day before, whenever they weren't working. So those are some of the things that you know I've seen and, and used as coping mechanisms to handle the speed at which content's being produced, but while keeping the quality high. It's picking the right tools that don't slow you down because a bad edit that looks good is is not good. You need to have the content for the directors and for the editors, so you need to write, use the right cameras, the right tools, the right crew. And then for me, um, just intense planning and pre-production helped keep the production value high when you don't have time on the day to actually explain in pre-light. It was something that I was able to do in 3D first. And the last thing I'll say on this topic, and it's not like, there's no conclusion to this, you know, this is just something that's happening and will continue continue to evolve with content and what that means, is that something that I'm trying to do with this company, I don't know if this is transparent yet, um, I haven't spoken about it on the, on the YouTube channel or really anywhere, this is maybe one of the first times, is that I do consider my company, Cinematography Database, the media side of it to basically be an agency and a production company and a distribution channel all in one place for film manufacturers. I don't know if that's been clear or not. So I work with Manfrotto now fairly frequently. We've done a couple um, mini campaigns together. There's a couple other companies I've worked with as well, like Digital Sputnik. And I see the commercials, quote unquote, or the content that I'm producing for them, it's less transactional. It's, it's less like, oh, you give me $50,000, I make you this one commercial, I'll see you later. It's really more of this relationship where I understand their core business and I understand their core demographic. And I can also, we can, we can kind of grow together as we make this content, you know, because I think in, in a lot of the cases, the, the companies that I'm serving at Cinematography Database, when I'm producing content for them, they might have the budget to say produce some videos or some content or some photos, you know, but they do not have the time or the manpower to do so. And that's where someone like me comes in and I'm one of the new 
I consider myself one of the hybrid production companies of you know 2017 with content. And the way I designed this company, even though I don't have a producer and a team yet, is to be a modern production company agency hybrid model that is a content machine that I can produce content very affordably, but also very high quality and, and targeted exactly towards um, a certain demographic. And with YouTube and Instagram, I can also distribute this content that I'm making. So it's it's kind of this all-in-one 360, more than any 360 used to be. 360 used to mean in production, it's like, oh well, you do, you do production, agency, post-production, and visual effects and sound. That's that's everything, right? But now I do all of that, and I deliver the content for you. I do the ad buy. So I don't know if anyone cares about that side of things, but that is a model that I have learned from YouTubers. A lot of people give YouTubers shit, but actually YouTubers are basically the new model in a lot of ways. A lot of ways, a lot of them are obviously not, and they're just education. Or, I'm sorry, they're just entertainment or goofing around. But there are some serious heavyweight YouTube YouTubers who are very serious companies. I'm talking like the Linus Tech Tips, TLD, MKBHD. These people know what they're doing. It's a form of media entrepreneurship, and that's who I learned a bunch of this from. So I just wanted to put that out there that that is. A model that I see as being very valuable,、um, and I hope is valuable because that's kind of the second part of my company. First is software, second is media, and it's media within the、um, the content space for the film industry. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you so much again for the call-in and the prompt. I hope I kind of addressed what we were talking about or you were talking about in your call-in. I think that. Content is a very, very interesting space, and that's why I make as much content as I do. It's kind of something that became, that came out of necessity for me to make it, and then it became、uh, a more serious hobby, and then has slowly evolved into, I would say at this point maybe 30 to 40 percent of what I do at Cinematography Database is content and studying content and learning how to create it, from blog posts to Facebook to how to use Twitter. YouTube took a long time, podcasting, all that stuff. Facebook video is now my、uh, taking the front lead as far as what I'm interested in. YouTube is great, and I feel like I know how to do that pretty well as far as the algorithm and how it works.、Um, but Facebook is becoming a more compelling option for a place to put video, especially、uh, after Adpocalypse, and a lot of things have been changing on the YouTube algorithm, and a lot of things have been changing on the Facebook algorithm. And I'm starting to like Facebook video. Uh, just a little bit more than YouTube, so that's something that I, people may have noticed as well. Is that I'm I'm far less active on YouTube、um, for a couple reasons. That, that would be a whole other thing to talk about later. But I hope that、uh, this has been somewhat helpful, and we talk about content. And it's something that I'm constantly tracking. And it's not just something for marketing and social media people. Anyone that's making a short film or a music video, or anything like that, and they actually want it to ever be seen by the public. Well, content is the avenue that that's going to happen in.、And、if you don't understand that, your work will just forever lay alone on the internet, never seen by anyone. So, on that happy, happy note, I'll see you guys on the next episode.、Um, if you want to hear some of the feedback to the call-ins and hear some of the more casual call-ins where I don't make an entire episode, you're going to need to get the Anchor app, which is free. It's really easy. Just go get the Anchor app and favorite this station. And then you can listen to the station as opposed to the podcast episodes, which you're listening to now, possibly.、Um, if you're on the app and you listen to the station, I put more, just kind of like more casual.
call-ins and I try to answer them there, but they never make their way onto these like syndicated podcasts. And uh, yeah, I will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a lot of fun. I'll check you later.